Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, for more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is Recovery Wednesday, and it's May the 4th, 2016. And our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Now, any of you who are normally with us on Recovery Wednesday, like Dr. Andraki, Gail, Terry, uh, Julie, any of you all, if you would press 1, that will bring you to the top of the list on the switchboard. And I'll be able to see you without having to search for you. And here's Michael. Thank you, dear heart. Welcome, everybody. Recovery Wednesday. What's recovery about? Well, if you hold a newborn child, you will have a direct experience of a human life, this awesome, sweet presence of active love. That's what recovery is about, is going back to the truth of who we are, to bring into full awareness our true state of being, which unfortunately has usually been covered up with some things that are not so shiny and wonderful as the active presence of love. The main tool that we're going to propose is the tool of forgiveness. That once you come across something that's tarnishing the presence of the truth in you, forgiveness is how to remove the tarnish. Kind of like polishing silver, you know, the tarnish remover is, is forgiveness. And If you haven't engaged in the forgiveness processes yet, as we're presenting it from the first century Aramaic, it's quite different from anything else that you'll find anywhere on the planet. Planet will tell you that forgiveness is about how I let you off the hook because I'm tarnished. (laughs) Doesn't make a lot of sense when you look at it from that perspective. If there's something that's tarnishing the presence of love in me, maybe I need to be shining my own mirror, cleaning up my own physiology, rather than blaming somebody else and letting them off the hook. Our, our bottom line is that when we live in denial, and that's kind of the focal point I want, want to focus on today is denial, we have a specific definition in this work that varies a little bit from several other um, teachings around the idea of denial. And that is that any time I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's happening inside of me, then what happens is I have to hide the root of what's happening inside of me from myself. So my denial 
thinking or speaking as though something outside of me has caused this inside of me, causes me to dissociate from this inside of me, and then that which is inside of me tends to unconsciously run my life. You might remember going back to the ancient Aramaic, we hear this man named Yeshua 2,000 years ago, saying, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. You'll notice he didn't say, take care of your child, your spouse, your neighbor, the other guy. He said, take care of the heart. Now, there was a, a challenge up until just a few decades ago in being able to comprehend or translate that idea out of the original Aramaic, because we had no idea what the word heart meant. Now what we understand is that the word heart there is our equivalent today of the unconscious. Take care what you've dissociated from, what is unconscious in you, for out of it are the issues in life. And when one goes into the form of denial where they're thinking and speaking, you made me mad, you made me sad, you hurt me, that upset me, that disturbed me, they really caused me a lot of pain, then in that dissociated state, I will tend to want to find something to alleviate the stress of that which I'm hiding from myself that I've dissociated from. When someone is in a lot of pain or turmoil because of their denial and dissociation, what tends to happen is when they find a substance, let's talk about alcohol for a moment. Alcohol, if you take two molecules or you take two molecules of alcohol and take the water out, you've got ether. And ether, you know, is such a powerful anesthetic, you can saw bones under it, people don't feel a thing. So if I have this unresolved turmoil or pain in me that I've dissociated from, the pain and turmoil still goes on. I still get to feel it, I still get to experience it, I may do my best to hide it from myself. But then if along comes a fifth of scotch and I get my first taste, and all of a sudden that anesthetic sits in, and all of a sudden I'm feeling no pain, I say, wow, this is good stuff. Now, of course, all the physiological damage being done by the ether, by the alcohol in the body, people tend to ignore. They just know that all of a sudden they've got relief from pain. Hey, this is pretty good. And until they look at the physiological damage that's done by that alcohol or drug or whatever it is, they'll tend to continue to believe that their alcohol or their drug is their salvation and something that they can't live without. In that state, one is in a state of progressive destruction of themselves, their mental, emotional, and spiritual faculties as they keep reaching for the bottle. And that leads to the next level of denial, which is the denial that I have a problem. And I thought I'd open it to our panel, to everybody today, to just um, share a little bit about how you found it effective to bring people out of denial, how to free people from that state of denial to start to look at perhaps they have a problem. I was processing with a, a young man from out in Arizona today, and uh, he's telling me about this lovely young woman that he has this awesome relationship with, except after she has her first drink. And her first drink leads to her second drink, and her second drink leads to her third drink until she's just blacked out. But 
she doesn't have a problem when he says, sweetheart, you're going to destroy yourself with that. He becomes the one with the problem. And so she wants to rage on him for the fact that she's drinking to excess and has on several occasions gotten herself into some pretty deep trouble as a result of the use of alcohol. So that denial is the denial that there's a problem. And so I'm going to open the floor to everyone who's normally here to support this conversation of Recovery Wednesdays on what you found to be most effective in getting past the denial and getting people to own that perhaps they have a problem. And Jeannie's telling me that we've maybe got some technical challenges. Just give me it's one second. So excuse me there, uh, uh, Jeannie's telling me that uh, we've got a server problem. We've had a big storm here in Florida, very gray, rainy day today, and uh, a lot of lightning this morning, so I'm thinking that perhaps our uh, our internet connection has gone down, and so she's uh, she's just checking that. So you're stuck with me for a few minutes. You know, Jeannie runs the show, <laughs> quite literally here, <laughs> until she can uh, get the control panel operating, because she can't turn anybody else's voice on. So uh, so I'll just offer some of the things that I've found have worked in helping people to get past their denial. And one of them is just the awareness and the understanding of how we are designed to work. To realize that we, as human beings, as this active presence of love, are designed to live in joy and aliveness and creativity and create a life of wonderment and delight. That's the natural state of a human. Now, the person who's in active addiction usually isn't functioning that way. And so the awareness, just just the awareness, I found that if you can just bring to people the awareness, gee, you know, Every time we talk, you sound like you've got a lot of pain, you've got a lot of turmoil, you've got a lot of conflict, you know, this, this is happening in your life and that's happening in your life. Did you realize that as a human being, you know, hold a newborn child for a moment and notice what human life is. It is this presence of love and that we are made in the image and likeness of love as a creator and we're designed to be able to create our lives consciously with awareness and joy. Now, just one of the things to recognize is you can't not be a creator. You know, whether you like the idea or not doesn't matter. You are a creator and you do create the results in your life. Now, if you live in denial and dissociation, you've hid the part of your mind with which you're creating your life. So life comes up and boots you in the butt and you say, why is, it, why is this happening to me? And the next time it happens, it's why is this happening to me again and again and again? It's because as a creator, you're producing those results. And so what I've found is if I get someone to start to suspect that, and of course, addressing the alcohol or drug issue directly is a powerful tool and being able to help people to understand, again, how their energy system works you know, one of the uh, steps in the A programs is like, you know, I have, I'm powerless over alcohol. I've heard a lot of people object to that step and say, oh, no, I can control my drinking. Well, unfortunately, the alcoholic can't. 
and the impact that alcohol has on their system is beyond their control. For those who believe that they can control substances in their body, Dr. Tim, back a few months ago on the show, came up with a, uh, a great example. He was talking to an addiction counselor who was sharing this principle of you know, powerlessness, and he reached into his desk drawer and put out a bottle or a box of X-Lax and said, here, take this and then tell me how much power you've got over your body. <laughs> and uh, Pretty good demonstration of, you know, if one has an allergy to the substance alcohol, if they lose control of their faculties, awareness, to the point in the case of this gentleman I was speaking with this morning, his, uh, his lady friend just blacks out has no recollection, no memory. And, you know, he shared that on the way into some of these blackout states, as he's been with her trying to get her to stop drinking, she starts as she starts to get closer and closer to blackout to share some of the traumatic experiences that have happened to her, to her previously under the influence of alcohol. And uh, that movement into unconsciousness that happens that leads to a blackout says there's a pretty serious problem and so if one can realize that we're meant to be aware awake functioning creative beings then just that awareness if I'm not doing that maybe I have a problem and there's the biggest thing it's just to get someone to the point where they can say to themselves hmm maybe I have a problem you know, the average alcoholic says, look, you know, I go to work every day. You know, the functional alcoholic is like, gee, I keep my bills paid. I'm keeping my job. I don't have a problem. It's like, well, you know, one of the things that happens in an alcoholic home with a parent that's an alcoholic is that parent is absent from the home. So for a parent who's drinking excessive amounts of alcohol, maybe bringing to awareness, gee, I, I noticed that, you know, yesterday morning I was with you, you were kind of fresh and you were with your five-year-old son and you're just how loving you are with him and how much you care for him. Did you know that by five o'clock this afternoon, he's not going to have a father? Oh, what do you mean? I said, well, I noticed you got your first drink in your hand. By five, you'll be absent and your son is fatherless. Your daughter is fatherless. Growing up in a home without two parents is a difficult thing for a child to do. And then, of course, the kinds of outbursts and rages that often happen under the influence of alcohol becomes a big trauma for a child to grow up in. And very likely the child is going to tend to reach for the same solution or this, the pseudo solution that the parent did. Well, if I just anesthetize myself, then I won't have to deal with this. So take care of the heart front of you know, the issues of life. When you understand that the issues that show up in your life are a result of your creative process and you're not conscious of how you created this result, it's an opening where someone can say, hmm, maybe I have a problem. And that's kind of one of the ways I've found affect a lot of their denial. And oftentimes people have to hit a really tough bottom 
before. Now, there's a there's an adage. Of, I mean, I've heard people say it. People never stop drinking until they hit their bottom. Well, I I hold a different space than that. Everybody doesn't have to hit the very bottom of the barrel, although that oftentimes is what catches people's attention. And so awareness becomes one of the keys to helping people to put an end to the the denial that they have a problem with alcohol or drugs and to begin to work through whatever's going on in their lives. And let's check with Jeannie and see if she's uh, found an internet connection yet. Are you with us, Jeannie? I'm actually hooking up to my phone now. Okay. It looks like our internet connection here at the house is down, and so Jeannie is uh, wiring her computer to the phone so that she'll be able to push some buttons and we can hear some other voices coming in here. It's interesting that we live in a culture that and you drive around and you look at the number of liquor stores as there are and people have a right to drink, which of course everybody's got a right to do what they choose to do. But in effect, for many people, it's really simply the right to destroy themselves, to destroy their families, to destroy the lives around them. To the, to the degree that someone yields control up to the alcoholic or the drug addict, everyone is impacted by that energy. And so I, I talk to people all the time about, well, you know, you might want to think about whether, let's see, you go to a party, you call it fun, when the next day you can't remember what happened. How do you know you were having fun? Oh, oh, I see. Your pain was anesthetized, and you call not feeling pain being, an, being anesthetized against your pain. You call that fun. It's like, well, I'd put a big question mark in front of that. You might try creating a clean, sober life where you're conscious, you're functioning as love, and you're interacting consciously with everything and everyone in your world. You know, I, for one, think back, and it's like, you know, why was alcohol ever introduced into the world? And, you know, it was it was programmed socially. It was a socially acceptable thing to do and get tipsy and so what. But when I look at that, it's like it's so crazy to be socialized like that. And Jeannie is some news on the Dr. Internet. Dr. Tim tried to get on to can't get on either. Okay, well, Jeannie says she got a, uh, a message from Dr. Tim, and he tried to get on from his end, and so it looks like it's a blog talk problem. So I guess that means maybe our show isn't being recorded today. I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens, see what unfolds. And uh, so we'll we'll just carry forward with this idea of waking up from a culture that promotes unconsciousness as a natural state. Like, What kind of sense does it make to live in a world where you introduce young people, children, to the fact that anesthetizing themselves to the point of unconsciousness is a natural thing to do? I would offer it is one of the most insane and unnatural things to do that one could possibly do. And yet, we hear about the 
the college binging parties where kids just drink and drink and drink to the point literally of death. And somehow that's thought to be fun. And my offering is it's time for a big wake up on the planet to the fact that human life is designed to be lived out of this state of active presence love and to function fully consciously. What are some of the other ways to assist people if you've got someone or if you're someone who has a problem with alcohol to move into a state of awareness that perhaps, well, no, perhaps if alcohol is being used to any excess, then there's clearly a problem. How do we get people to pull out of denial? Another effective tool that I've found is by simply presenting the forgiveness process to someone. If you've got someone who's willing to put the pen to the paper, and I've seen this happen many times over the years, over the last 45, 50 years of developing this work, I've seen many addicts, uh, people addicted to all sorts of things, food or alcohol or drugs or whatever, come to this work and really not ever have any particular conversation about it, but by presenting them with a tool with which to remove their pain, if they'll use it and let go of their pain, what will happen is the substances that are used to anesthetize the pain all of a sudden aren't attractive anymore. So I've seen all kinds of people over the years that say, you know, I just, you know, I just started to eat more healthy. I just dropped all that junk food that I was, I realize now drugging myself with. You know, I look at a bottle of beer or I look at a shot of whiskey and I say, what, you know, why would I want to put that in my body? And so just presenting people with a tool of forgiveness where they start to remove the unconscious pain that, quote, literally drives them to drink, removing that and all of a sudden alcohol doesn't have the attraction that it had before. My experience over the years in working with people has been that I think what happens is as one works through the pain that they were anesthetizing with their drug or their alcohol, the need for the drug or the alcohol disappears because they don't need to anesthetize themselves. And I remember one woman that I worked with in South Florida back when I had a private practice there. Her husband was a businessman, very successful. Seven days a week, when he got home, you know, late from the office, she'd have, you know, drinks ready to be poured, two, three, four drinks before dinner, bottle of wine, maybe two with dinner, two, three, four drinks after dinner. They weren't alcoholics, but that was a seven-day-a-week routine she shared with me. And as a result of starting to do this work, she just decided to stop using alcohol. And if I remember correctly, it was probably five years that she just had not touched any alcohol after being you know, pretty heavily soused for a long time. <clears throat> and she shared that um, in a private session that she had gone to a party and someone offered her a drink. She hadn't had one for a long time. And she said, sure. So she takes this, whatever it was, it was a, some kind of a, a straight alcohol drink. And uh, she said, when I took a drink of it, 
the taste of the alcohol no more than got past my lips. And it felt like razor blades in my kidneys. Now, the damage done to the kidneys, the liver, are amazing. And that damage is painful. But when one is anesthetized, they don't feel the pain. So there's no awareness that that's what's happening. And, you know, it's, it's, alcohol is a, a way to sort of cook things or pickle things, cause them to break down. You know, and the end result of alcohol is that the cells of the body simply begin, the cell wall becomes so weakened by the impact of alcohol that the cells simply start to fall apart, literally break down and fall apart. And people bleed to death from the inside. That's a very painful process. And the only reason that people are not aware of that pain is because they've got an anesthetic that they're pumping along with the pain that's happening so they don't feel it. They don't experience it directly. They'll experience many diseases along the way, but those diseases will have something to do with, you know, something else will have nothing to do with the use of alcohol. And that's a way to maintain uh, that denial phase where, oh, no, no problem here. So as one begins to let go of the alcohol, they become more conscious of what's going on in their own cellular structure. And when there's pain, have awareness of it. And when they begin to use the tools, then everything begins to change. So that's what we're here to support is that kind of shift and that kind of change occurring and recognizing that our culture, you know, we are probably the most drugged culture in all of history. I mean, you know, the average person in this culture, I've just recently got some, some of the new statistics up until just a few months ago, I was saying, you know, old numbers that the average person is doing 150 pounds of sugar a year. The latest numbers tell us that the average person in America is consuming 250 pounds of sugar a year. And they've shown in the laboratory with experiments using rats, which have similar addictive pathways to humans, that sugar is more addictive than cocaine. They did an experiment with a group of rats where the rats went through a maze, and at the end of the maze, once they accomplished it, they got a reward. And they could push one of two buttons. And one of the buttons they would push, and it would deliver to them a jolt of sugar, and one, a jolt of cocaine. Over 90% of the rats became addicted to the sugar, kept asking for the sugar, not the cocaine. And they actually took that a step further and they had a group of rats that they had purposely addicted to cocaine. Put them in that same circumstance and 84% of the rats switched away from cocaine to sugar. Now you look at sugar, I, I challenge you to go over to your kitchen cupboard and look at every package or box or can that you have. And I would venture to say, even foods that you would think, oh, would there never be any reason for sugar in that? I'll offer that at least 90% of the packages in your kitchen 
unless you're a very conscious consumer and refuse to buy things with sugar, at least 90% of them have sugar in them. Well, why is that? Why, why does this wonderful picked at the peak of ripeness fruit that's already sweet have sugar added to it? Do you think somebody might have figured out that it's an addiction and if they added sugar to their product, people would buy more and more and more of their product? You know, it's almost impossible to walk into a so-called grocery store and find foods that aren't laden with drugs. You look at our presidential conversations that are going on. Most of those candidates are drugged most of the time. Just listen to their angry retort. Hostility, anger is a drug. You listen to the anger in those conversations. You listen to the put-downs and the rage. That's all drunken speech. That's why it can get so crazy. I mean, you look at some of the speech of these people toward each other. It's like you wouldn't expect it out of four-year-olds in kindergarten. And here are people who are vying for a position to be the president of the corporation of the USA that's the, at this point, the ultra power in the world. <laughs> they want to be corporate presidents. And you listen to the quality of speech and the speech under the influence that's done. And it's unbelievable. Go into a restaurant and try to find foods that aren't laden with sugar. The culture's gone totally, completely insane. And one of the reasons I would offer is because of this idea of being drugged. You look at how taste buds become addictive foods that have no substance and no nutrition in them. And each food, Jeannie's got us on, so we got somebody else to talk to. All right. Well, anybody, uh, Dr. Tim, how are you doing out there, sir? And any, uh, any thoughts on the conversation so far and or in particular, anything that you found effective in getting people out of denial and recognizing if there's a problem that there is one? Well, it's a, it's a process, and I, it's, you, know, you keep using the term building the brain cells, and I, I keep talking to people about softening. And um, we had our group last night, and to my mind it's a wonderful example of this. Or We only had five people in the group last night, but most of them have been there well over a year listening to these videos and we watched um, the second half of getting the stress you need so this is a whole exercise you go through about canceling goals and so everybody in the room had been through that exercise a number of times and then the person who did the worksheet last night had an experience come up where when she canceled her goals and went to ask to be shown the hidden part of her mind that was causing her pain, she saw an image from her childhood that she's seen a number of different times when she's done the worksheets. And this time she was looking at the same traumatic memory, 
but she held a different level of willingness, and she's done enough other worksheets, and she's heard enough people say, your perceptions are accurate, but you're using them to cause pain. So she softened enough to let herself see an aspect of that traumatic memory that she hadn't looked at before. And it, it, it was an opening that allowed her to understand a false conclusion she took from this memory from a long time ago. So it was repetition. It was willingness. It was a softening. It was being able to know there's a reason to go into the pain and there's a reason to believe I'll get through it and be better on the other side. So for me, it's a process. Um, it's very rare that I have somebody who does a worksheet and it transforms their life and they don't need any more worksheets. You know, and we have had a few people who come to the, the group and they do the first worksheet ever and it blows the door off of an issue for them and they're thrilled. So far, none of those people have come back consistently over time, so I don't know if it could get better and deeper for them. But the way past denial primarily for me is willingness and then repetition and softening the part of me that wants to run away from or that holds a belief that I can't benefit from looking at this pain more deeply. Awesome, awesome input. And Jeannie, is uh, Dr. Andraki with us today? I know that his time may be limited if he's uh, able to make it to the show today. I looked, and I do not see his number unless he's calling from a number I don't recognize, but Gail is with us. Well, then let's say hello to Gail and see if she has any thoughts to share on the topic. Hey, young lady, how are you? I am doing well, thank you. How's everybody else doing? We are doing well. A little damp down here in Florida today, but uh, other than the, the showers coming out of the sky, things are well here. Yeah, it's chilly and up here. The trees and as the grass well. are loving the rain. Oh, I'm sure they they're are. Really, quite hot and dry. So they're, they're, I'm sure they're just delighting in it. Gotcha, gotcha. In response to your opening and continued conversation, due to technical breakdowns. Um, I do have a response, and um, I wanted to offer some history with the 12-step um, the model on how um, they discovered to have people break through um, or their denial. And um, Great. What happened, yeah, what, what ended up happening, and the reason why we have the 12-step model that we have is because when Bill Wilson had his Bright Light Spiritual Experience, and he's the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, he was taught through the Oxford group that he needs to carry the message to others and um, to have them work the, the six tenets of the Oxford group. And what he was doing six months after his his thing, um, his Bright Light Spiritual Experience, he was dragging people off the bar stools and trying to drag them to Oxford group meetings, and he is primarily talking about his bright light spiritual experience that he wanted everybody to have. And he became very frustrated, and he talked to two people. He talked to his wife, and he talked to a gentleman called um, Dr. Silkworth. And um, his wife said, well, you may not be getting other people sober, but you're staying sober, and that's the important thing. 
Dr. Silkworth was the gentleman over um, uh, he worked at the town's hospital and in New York and he um, worked with alcoholics all the time with no avail. And Bill Wilson was the first person that had a bright light spiritual experience and got in touch with something spiritual that allowed him to stay sober. And he said, yeah, I've been hearing about what you've been doing out on the streets. He's like, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you give people information about your alcoholism? Why don't you give them the information about this? They didn't know at the time that it was an allergy, but this was, this was Dr. Silkworth's theory that it was, or his opinion that it was, it was an addiction. He said, why don't you talk about your drinking and your alcoholism and where it took you and give, give people information about your drinking and see what they do with it. Um, because a lot of people have a hard time with the spiritual aspect of this, of what you went through and it's driving people away. So the first person that he had this particular conversation with was Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob Smith in Akron, Ohio. Um, he had this conversation uh-huh. with him on Mother's Day of 1935, and he just talked about himself. He talked about his drinking and um, his experiences, and Dr. Bob gave him 15 minutes of his time. I'm only going to give him 15 minutes, and they ended up talking for five hours. And that became the formula. So what we do, 12-step model, is that we talk about our drinking. And then we, after people, and we talk about the information. We talk about the allergy. And if people decide that they have the physical allergy and they've had similar experiences that we have had, then we ask them, if, do, you, do you want to know what the solution is? And what they talk about in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they say that um, all we can do is share our experience and then lay the kit of spiritual tools at people's feet for their inspection. And then we need to be ready. If they're ready, if they look at the spiritual tools and are ready to change their lives and stop drinking, then we need to be ready to provide them with the tools and teach them how to work the rest of the steps and introduce them to the God of their own of their understanding so they could have that spiritual experience as well. Awesome. Awesome. Very powerful. So what that, so what that tells me as far as the Aramaic forgiveness process is concerned is all I could do. And I hear you say this all the time. All I could do is do my work and, you know, I could give people information about what I'm doing and how it's impacting my life and, continue to do my work and if I have an issue with somebody else's addiction um, I need to do, I need to do my work to see if that is a power person dynamic um, that's underlying why I keep drawing particular instances in, in into my life and and that's what I have to offer there um, lead by example and continue to do what I'm doing wonderful Awesome. Well, I breathe with you and appreciate what you are doing in the world to touch people uh, with this work, with the, uh, with the AA genius that you've developed and being able to share the tools is pretty powerful. Thank you. You are very welcome. Um, another thing I have to offer, if 
Dr. Andraki hasn't dropped in, um, I want to be conscious of his time as well, is is the creation of Al-Anon and um, where that came from in the background um, and, and to use that as a support as well as the Aramaic forgiveness process. If, if somebody has a problem with somebody else's drinking, Al-Anon was created for those people um, to use a 12-step model just like the alcoholics were using and and so they could get to a place of neutrality or a place where they could hold the space of love for their significant others or friends or family. Right. So do we have the we have the space to continue that conversation or Oh yeah, please. Go for it. I, I'm sure Jeannie, if Dr. Andraki gets to drop in, will let us know right away. She'll break in, I'm sure. So yeah, please. Okay. Uh, Excellent. Let's, let's Excellent. I just want to make sure. Um, Alan was okay. Okay, I'll step back. Seven oh two. Is this is this Dr. Andraki? Good morning. It is. Well, hey there, young man. How are you? I'm I'm doing wonderful. Thank you, uh, Jeannie. I haven't heard uh, your uh, your mother is okay. I just got a glimpse last that she had gone to the hospital. Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, she had done really well. They had released her out of ICU, and then yesterday she went back into the hospital. So they're running some tests on her now. Um, They're calling it AFib, that the bottom part of her heart is working harder than the top part of her heart. And uh, so she just went back into uh, the hospital yesterday. Jenny, you're so integral into everything that I and Connie do. So we hold the space of love as everybody, and we want to know that you're appreciated, uh, along with Michael, along with everybody. So uh, believe Thank us you. when we when we keep us in your heart over you and your family. Thank you. Thank you. Thank the you. The work you've done on the website, the the work you've done on your website, the work you've done to help other people get information. Uh, to lead to recovery is fabulous, and uh, and it's it's uh, we hope it continues to get better. We'll keep it moving in that direction. Were you were you able to hear the opening of the uh, the show? I did not. I just uh, tuned in. Okay, great. Well, what we're what we're discussing today, and certainly if you've got something else to add to the conversation, that'd be fabulous. But uh, we started out with the idea of I actually was processing with someone from out in Arizona that called me this morning. Someone who's been doing this work for a while, and they've started to date someone who turns out is an alcoholic, and how to get this person to realize they have a problem, how to break past the denial of no, everything's fine for me. You have a problem. And so I was just inviting everyone to uh, to share what they found to be effective in helping people to recognize that they have a problem and to come out of that state of denial. So if you have any input in that arena or any other, uh, we're all ears. Well, as I continue to investigate this issue with uh, with drug abuse and with uh, with addiction, I see the biggest problem is the people coming to a decision that there's something more than what they believe that they are. And I think that that's the first step that has to be overcome. And as I continue to struggle with ways to, to make that better, I continue to watch television and I saw a fabulous program on Drugs, Inc., on National Geographic about a, a, a gentleman that had the opportunity to stop using meth, but his brain just had decided, says, 
I'm getting excited about getting his delivery. He had stopped for a few days. He was feeling it already, and then he said, I could stop right now or I can buy this and to continue. And he says, what the heck, I'm going to continue. I think that a lot of people get to exactly that point, and a decision is made in their, in their mind, in their thoughts, whether it's their goals or, or whatever the driving force is to go into the easy routes, to go into the euphoria, to go into the anesthesia. I think a lot of people may have a lot of different reasons to drop back into it, but a lot of it is trying to escape their, their, their past, I believe, or issues or finding an easier way to do it. To, to recognize at that moment that they have an opportunity to say yes or say no. And as I think about this and think about ways to be more effective in this, uh, Julie Haverstick comes to mind because I know that she worked with children, and I would like to see her input about how to get a child who is thinking the wrong things to believe that there's something, somebody else. And I know that we have I am somebody. I know that we have a commitment to myself. I know that you've produced a number of different things. But at that moment, when a decision can be made, whether that they can continue this or not to continue their behaviors, that there is something more, I think that so many people just don't have a connection to who they really are. You read Arg uh, a number of years ago on Thanksgiving. I think that was wonderful uh, about who we are and about our capabilities. And I know that you spoke at the same time. It's something that can be uh, arrived at with a number of different inputs for people who have gone through this and with a couple of different thought patterns and a couple of different uh, combinations of things. It's telling them at that moment can lead them possibly to the opportunity to decide that they no longer need to continue this, that they need help. So that's my thought is, uh, is attempting. I know that you've done this many different ways. I know a lot of people have uh, attempted this uh, in many different ways. But for something that we might try to combine and make something uh, as a super combination of everything to, to let people connect in that moment of despair and attempt to escape to realize who they are, that they no longer need to continue this path. So. Uh, any thoughts on that, Michael? I know you've done so much work on trying to optimize the uh, initial encounter, and I'm wondering if that could be possibly tuned up in any way uh, when people have to make that decision. Well, I think that uh, one of the things that, at least one of the things that resonates for me is I think the the idea of recognizing the building of the brain cells. And as long as one doesn't, understand or doesn't have the brain cells to recognize that there is a possible alternative. You know, I've, I've used the example before of we bring a dog in the room and we have an ounce of gold on a plate and we have a pound of hamburger and the dog has a choice. But of course we know that every dog in the world is going to chow down on the hamburger, not even going to look at the gold. Why? Because the dog has no brain cells to recognize that they could take the ounce of gold and trade it in for 1,500 pounds of hamburger. If they had those brain cells, there isn't a dog in the world that would pick up the hamburger. They'd all go for the ounce of gold. And so education, awareness, uh, helping people to build the brain cells for, there is a possibility that something else would work. But until someone has those brain cells, it's tough to make a shift out of, well, I've got something that works. Hey, you know, a fifth of scotch works well for me. And, with no other brain cells to combat that idea, it's going to be tough to make a different choice. 
So I think that uh, all of the efforts that, uh, that everybody puts into uh, sharing the tools and helping people to build the brain cells for, there is actually an alternative to doing this, and I could benefit from that alternative, is a big piece of education to offer people. So I think that's perhaps uh, one of the keys in the process. And, of course, the the whole section that Jeannie's built on getting people started is, and you, we will certainly be continuing to refine that as the best we can to uh, to put together a conversation that supports people in going from no awareness that there's even a problem into full-blown awareness there's a problem and full awareness of the solution and engaging in it. Uh, but, but thank you. I know that we've had this conversation for many years, and I keep uh, hoping, I, I guess, to say that we can say something powerful enough to them at that moment to open up something because I think that it's, the, the difficulty in getting people to come to a support group, to come in the presence of other people who are working through problems, is still a big jump for some people. And I think that, at least it's my thought, that people are so far removed from who they really are that it's hard to attempt to, to start work doing their work. Any thoughts? Well, I think that takes us right down to, you know, the power person dynamic where one buys into an identity based on the messages they got from their power person, that they weren't good enough, that they were never going to be able to accomplish, that life would never work for them. And, you know, all the varieties of messages that people receive from their power person. And then when those messages coagulate into an identity that they buy into, that's a a major piece of the puzzle to crack and break open and to be able to dissolve or forgive those messages to remove them from the mind and support the return and or the experience as, uh, as Gail shared it, as is spoken of in the A group is the bright light spiritual experience. And I think that, you know, if for someone who doesn't actually have that kind of a, a breakthrough experience that literally is, you know, kind of like what we've read about, uh, you know, Paul on the road to Damascus, that's a bright light spiritual experience. And many people have that. Uh, there is a, a, an alternative to that, as I understand it from Gail in the AA literature about that you can do that through your intellect. And to a degree, I think you can build the brain cells for recognizing, oh, there is something else, to, but there's no substitute for actually having that direct bright light spiritual experience. And, uh, and and being the space where people can have that happen. I know that over the years I've just watched and, you know, when we open an intensive, we started out with what are the factors that cause healing to occur, that cause this opening to occur. And I share that I don't know what's going to open that space for any given individual. That's why we're going to introduce everything we know. And each person in their own time is going to have that kind of an opening. And it's always just a delight when someone does. You know, Michelle shared a couple of weeks ago, she was at the um, the codependence to interdependence intensive this summer. No, pardon me, it was Laws of Living. I think it was Laws of Living she was at. And uh, she and Ari went out for a walk, and all of a sudden it was like the 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 energy field opened and she could literally see 
in what normal people would think, well, it's just empty air. That's just air there. All of a sudden she could see the energy and moved into this space of delight and joy and aliveness. And that's, you know, what are the factors that bring that about? All of the above. It's every tool, and that's what we want to work for. I understand, uh, Michael. Uh, we spent hours uh, discussing this, and uh, between the, the two of us, and with Jeannie, and at intensives, and at Heartland. And I, I, I'm going to apologize for coming uh, on as being somewhat desiring of something better. And I guess that you know that that's one of my traits is trying to to. to pull something easier, and we've had many discussions about that. But there's one million people who are addicted to opiates, and opiates lead to death, and they lead to, uh, to horrendous problems in a little bit different ways and sometimes a little bit more uh, uh, major than even alcohol or, or, or sugar or, or eating or things like this. And my right. attempt is to attempt to, to, to develop, or I'm working towards developing, I'm attempting, I'm working towards developing something that can be used in the future in the, in the addiction, um, an addiction group, uh, people are treating addicts that can be embraced by people who don't understand the PowerPoint, uh, the power person dynamic, that don't understand all the aspects of, of forgiveness, who don't understand everything but a starting point for you are love that uh, as uh, Og, I think it's Medino, uh, spoke about in his uh, wonderful paragraphs about uh, your abilities, your capabilities, as Julie has uh, spoken about with, uh, with the, the children who come from broken homes. And I think it would be interesting to have anybody weigh in uh, who's had those moments where they had the decision and what may be useful so that maybe this can be distilled. And is this to a point of a starting point besides throwing everything at them? There's a limited amount of time that we can spend with anybody about who they are, about the, the places to start. And uh, I, I know there's not one answer for everybody. If, if and when this gets developed, this is what the addiction community is looking for, an alternative to what's out there, which nothing is very effective, but to being able to start with getting people engaged because the opportunity is to use or not to use, to, to go to a program, not go to union, to uh, a program, to stop or to continue to use. And it's just in that one moment in their mind to understand that they are more than this and to try to, to do whatever techniques to, in a 10 or 15 minute opportunity, to look at them, for instance, uh, look at them in their, in their eyes, directly into their eyes, and say, You are more than this, that you are capable of this, and no matter what's happened to you, you, have, uh, you can make a choice and decision on your thoughts and your decisions and uh, you are love, and from a point of, of love and working out. Because it takes a little bit of time to get to forgiveness process. It takes a little bit of time to get to the power person dynamic. It takes a, a lot of time to build the brain cells and be an effective starting point with people who maybe have gone through that type of experience and who can weigh in and with a combination of a variety of things, realizing nothing's going to work for everybody, to get some people engaged. And so, for instance, uh, if this is something that 
the listeners or the people who are participating in the forgiveness process are able to do to be able to, to send a message out to those uh, addictionologists that they can assist or they're willing to assist in the people continuing on with their work and with their program in a small uh, support group, in a large support group, on one-on-one, to helping people overcome their addictions with the premise that with a very basic uh, ideation that hopefully can get formulated for an addiction, a person suffering from addiction, to be able to move forward. And when this happens, we are going to be able to engage in those people who are interested in the concepts and ideas that they are loved, there's something missing, uh, they're disconnected from their source, and that they can move forward. And all the listeners, all the people who are participating can then uh, be able to assist these people into uh, the recovery along with whatever program they're listening to. At least that's what I have in my mind. And when this gets to the point that this is in some sort of a organized program, this can be presented to the addiction community as a uh, opportunity to uh, to treat the addictions with a different type of a program than what's available out there now. Realizing there's AA, realizing there's NA, realizing there's, there's uh, Al-Anon, realizing there's uh, individual therapy and inpatient therapy. I believe that this has been uh, useful. It's been useful some, for some of my addicted patients, and I. It's my desire to make this stronger, better, organized, and the only thing we can do is to hook them at the very moment when they are seeing the opportunity, the coming in and seeing an opportunity uh, for the, the first steps in recovery. So uh, it's, a, the tough, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough thought to come up with, and I know that you, that you constantly uh, remind us of all of the steps and all of these different um, tools that are available but to get them hooked from the beginning with uh, an organized thought program, maybe with uh, the input of some of the patients who've gone through this, I think would be helpful uh, to, to combine everything to, to, at that moment to, to let them know there's something else and something different. Does that make sense? Is that something that is, uh, is I'm on board. desirable? Or I'm, I'm absolutely on board and open to all ideas from, from every corner of the earth we can get them from, for sure. And Jeannie tells me she's got somebody with a hand up. Let's see what our caller has to share. We're down to 90 seconds. but Oh, uh, dear. Yeah, we're down to just a minute and a half. I didn't realize we're that far into the show. Oh, my goodness, time flies when you're having fun. Well, we really don't have time to to have any kind of conversation with another caller then. So our apology, uh, if you want to give us a call back tomorrow, we'd be delighted to to have a conversation with you and support you with whatever questions you had or receive whatever input you had. In the meantime, we're down to just a few seconds. So we'll just say we appreciate you and we hold the space and any support we can be. We're here five days a week to support you. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye. I choose to live more consciously, evolving continuously. Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time 
on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.